0: What
1: What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group.
0: I'm Nina. I am the woman of color in the group.
1: And I'm Mike. I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Choose Inclusion. So happy to have you back. My name is Mike Hess. And uh, typically I am joined by two fantastic co-hosts. However, uh, today Ubaldo will not be joining us, but I have the amazing Nina with me today. Good morning, Nina. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm good, Mike. Uh, as always, it's always wonderful to do a podcast recording with, with you.
1: Awesome, well, I'm I'm excited. This is, <laughs> we have, we always have so many uh, fun guests, you Nina, know, we really do. I think that's really what uh, delineates um, kind of our conversations here on Choose Inclusion. And today is no exception and, and probably the bar has been raised. Uh, we are joined today by Ms. Deanna Singh, who is the Chief Change Agent with a flying elephant. Deanna, how are you?
2: I am wonderful. How are you both doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Good. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Deanna, when we had our our pre-call with you some time back, it it motivated me (laughs) to no end. I uh, I went out there and I generally don't Google stalk people, but I was so inspired by your story. I went out there and I just started uh, you know, diving into you and all the change that you have made and continue to make. Uh, however, I'd love for, for folks to kind of hear what got you to here, because I think like you were, you were born, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, like you had all of those boxes kind of just checked as you were born in the environment that you lived in. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about what got you to here and the, uh, the world you grew up in?
2: Absolutely. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, So I am a biracial woman and my father is actually Sikh American. So he immigrated to the United States from a very small village in Punjab, India. And my mother is African-American. Her family really, the roots are in um, Mississippi. And she and her family, her eight brothers and sisters and parents moved from Mississippi to Wisconsin because my grandfather got work on the railroad. So ended up growing up mostly in the Midwest. And what's interesting about their story is that they actually met at a gas station. My dad was working and living at the gas station. My mom was working third shift and my dad didn't actually speak any English, believe it or not. He had some transactional, you know, English, so like how much on this pump or this is how much this costs, um, but, but not that much more than that. And my mom, uh, being the amazing woman that she is, saw him and was like, you know, what? He's living here. I bet he's not getting any like home cooked meals and all this. And so she started to bring him food and um, then they didn't really date, but what they did was they would get together and my dad would come over to my mom's house and they'd sit in front of the TV and my dad would say, what is the meaning of this? And what is the meaning of this? And so in essence, my mom kind of taught him not just uh, the language, but also just some cultural references. And after just three months of knowing each other, still not speaking the same language, coming from totally different places in the world, different cultures, different backgrounds, different religions, they decided to do, you know, what anybody would do and get married. Um, <laughs> and I'm so proud to share that they actually celebrated their, this year they'll celebrate their 42nd anniversary. Wow. And uh, what's so, you know, amazing about that, I always tell them, I think this was, they've blessed me in many, many ways, but one of the greatest blessings they gave me was giving me the opportunity to be born in the middle of, of that intersection, right? Of East and West of all these different religions and foods and cultures and, and to grow up in that space. And so, um, so I was born, at, you know, a, a year or so after they got married and, um, I. I watched them do this, right? I I watched them, them find their way to each other and, and to each other's families and just all the different things. So that was really interesting. But I think what makes it even more spicy is that when I was uh, about three and a half, four years old, my parents sent me to India. Uh, I was the first American to actually enter our village in India. And at the time I was just getting, you know, acquiring English. Like I was just starting to put sentences together and, and all of that. And when I went to India, nobody there could speak any English and I wasn't with my my parents. And so I quickly learned how to speak Punjabi and actually learned how to speak it so well that I forgot how to speak English altogether. So English is is my first and my third language. Um, Luckily, when I came back to America, I was able to retain uh, my Punjabi and so that was, you know, really exciting. And then the third big thing that they that they did was when I was about five. So shortly after I came back from India, uh, my parents decided that they didn't want other people who were immigrating from mostly from India, uh, but we had people from kind of a little bit of all over, they didn't want them to have some of the same challenges that my dad had when he came into the country. And so they decided to open our very normal three bedroom, like ranch style house up to anybody who needed a place to stay. And so from the age of about five until I went to college, we never had really less than about 30 people living in our home, in our three bedroom home. And what was really fascinating is that I was, because my dad was working all the time and, you know, my mom didn't really have, uh, you know, acquisition of Punjabi, which was the, the other main language that was being spoken, my job in the house elevated and my role in the house elevated pretty quickly, right? Because I became like the translator. I became the bridge maker between all of the wonderful people that we had coming in and out of our home. So, when you say like, were you born into it? Yes, I was absolutely born into it. And not only was I born into like the diversity space, but I was actually born into the opportunity to be able to practice and build up the skills that I I think lead to equity and inclusion.
0: That's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit more about kind of, as you were growing up and obviously you were at this intersection of multiple identities how did what was that journey from you know those childhood experiences to building a career around this?
2: It's really interesting because I don't think that I did it with intention. I think that what happened is, you know, as a child, because I was spending so much time in in this space, right? Of of helping people navigate through systems, understand one another, understand each other's differences, it became a skill set that that I recognized pretty early on was was powerful, but it also became pretty secondhand to me. And so I think one of the things that I most like value in the work that I get to do now, and the thing that really makes me proud, and, and the thing that I think really helps out our clients, is the fact that I was able to take that skill set and apply it in a lot of different sectors, in a lot of different spaces, in a lot of different geographies, right? And so. I think that for, for me, at least it happened really organically that I had that as my basis and I was able to then use it in all of these different places, right? And see how incredibly transferable it really is when you have those diversity, equity, inclusion, like leadership skills.
1: So Deanna, um, I'm like, such a big fan of everything that you're saying, everything that you've done, but how, okay, talk talk about like, you know, because you started some of the organizations with the flying, because the flying elephant is an umbrella organization. And talk, talk about like the piece parts and how it grew into that and how your, 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 this intersectional uh, bringing up this upbringing of your life, like helped, you know, kind of put these pieces um, uh, underneath the umbrella.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I feel fortunate, to have been able to do really early on life is is understand what my purpose was. And I there's a number of reasons why that happened. I wrote a whole book about, you know, how to find your how to find your purpose. Um, but for me, very early on, it was clear that my purpose was to help shift power to marginalized communities. And a lot of the reason why I had that perspective and I had that understanding is because I recognized what a unique position it was to be an African-American woman and what a unique position it was to be a Sikh American woman and to see what it feels like to navigate between city and urban to, you know, and, and. Uh, village and country, right? And and to, to kind of have all of those different experiences. And I think it just solidified for me that, you know what, this is a really unique thing to be able to have had all of these different experiences. And how do we take all of those different experiences and how do we really use it to empower other people around us? And so knowing that that was like my purpose, right? And that, that is what every morning, like I get up and I'm like, Oh my gosh! How am I going to do this today? What's it going to look like today? How do I do it better today? Uh, I at at the end of the day, I'm like, did I live in my purpose? Where did I make mistakes? What you know? And I I I I not only plan where I'm going to go, but I also Look at and assess where I've been, right? Based on that same principle. And so, really, flying elephant is an extension of that purpose. Like, how do we shift power to marginalized communities? And I'll tell you what the MO is, right? Like, I I see something, I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem equitable. That doesn't seem like the best that we could be doing. I look around, try and find somebody or an organization or somebody who's doing it really well. If I find him, I'm like, yeah, let's go. And I try and, you know, put my support there. And if I find some gaps, I build something, you know, or, or if I find some problems, I break things. And so that's how the companies uh, have come into fruition. Uh, We have, and there's, and there's four of them. Wait. So tell us about the four of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. So uh, one is called Uplifting Impact. That's where we do a lot of our diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And that company is really focused on helping people understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion skills and leadership skills have to be matched together. You, you can't be a strong leader without having those underpinnings of DEI. And so that in, in that company we do co- consulting, we do training. Um, you know, uh, I, I have a couple of books that that are coming out in that space. And so really do just a a tremendous amount of work there and our work spans across the entire world. So, you know, in the, the last, six months of of 2020, we spoke to over 70,000 people in over 30 countries. So really, really intensive, deep, deep work in that space. The second company is called Story to Tell Books. And actually my children who are eight and 12 run that company. And what we do there is we put out books that feature positive images of children of color. And the reason why we do that is because right now children of color make up more than 50% of the United States population, but are represented in less than 14% of books. And so the idea is if we put more books out there, we can, you know, change that narrative. And they, take the profits from the books that we sell and actually redistribute them to other organizations, also supporting positive images of children of color. Uh, The third company is called Purposeful Hustle. So as I mentioned before, I, I did write a book about how you find your purpose and how you use it to make a difference in the world. And through that company, we do a lot of work with organizations in just helping people find their purpose, but then figuring out, like, what does that look like, right? How, how do I make sure that I deploy that on a daily basis? How do I use it to do some of the things I talked about already, right? Like using it to make decisions, using it to make my community stronger, to make my community better, Um, So lots of fun there. Again, work with thousands of people and and, uh, companies of all sizes to try and help bring that support up and and give people that opportunity to to take hold of their purposes and use them effectively. And then the fourth company is actually called Birth Coach Milwaukee. I am a certified doula, and my partner and I and a group of amazing doulas, what we do here in the Milwaukee area is we provide support before, during, and after to birthing people. And the reason why we started that company, again, was because we were really frustrated by the the numbers. We were really frustrated by the disparities that exist in birthing outcomes for women of color. And the research shows if you introduce a doula or a midwife, You can eliminate those austerities at almost 100%. And so that's what our company does. We have a one-to-one model for every woman who can pay full price. We then provide services to a woman who otherwise could not afford them. And also we have this amazing baby wrap um, and 100% of the profits from the baby wrap go towards also uh, paying for services for women who otherwise couldn't afford them.
1: So you basically have nothing going on is what you're saying. So,
2: yeah. <laughs> You know what? My days are so spicy. You never know what's going to, you never, never know, right. What's going to happen. I could get a text message and be in a hospital for a couple of hours. I could be presenting to hundreds of people. I could be working on book. You never know. Right. But, but again, that's what happens when you're following your purpose.
1: I, I love it. I really do. Could you, you have a, you have a conference coming up in September. Can you talk to our audience a little bit about that? Because I think our DE&I and belonging uh, audience would love to hear about it.
2: Absolutely. So we have the great fortune of putting on a, a How to Be an Ally Summit. And this will actually be our third one. Um, we What we do is we have a three-day summit. It's September 15th through the 17th in 2021. 2020- uh, 2021, uh, but there'll be others that will that will come after that. We make it incredibly affordable for people. It is absolutely 100% all online, um, but it is Professionally produced, you know. I think one of the biggest comments we got was, "Oh, I wish we had more time, not less time." So it's intense. We fill it up with lots of really, really great content. Um, but in addition to that, we make sure that we like have a really good time too, right? And that that we're learning, and that everything is practice. Uh, everything that we give is really applicable. So people coming to the summit leave with a very strong understanding of the principles and the underpinnings of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But they also leave with techniques that they can put into practice immediately, right? Like day one back in the office.
0: So Deanna, I, I kind of want to pivot the conversation a little bit back sure. to your, your personal experiences because, um, you know, uh, you said you're, you're from Wisconsin. Um, you grew up there too. Is that correct?
2: Yes, mostly. I did spend a lot of time in India.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, the first thing it's sad to say, um, you know, uh, I live in Boulder and uh, you know live just a couple blocks from the, the King Supers, where the shooting took place, and um, yeah. so these types of violence that happens to our communities um, is very top of mind right now. And the first thing that uh, one of the first things I thought about when you said you were Sikh in Wisconsin was the, the Oak Creek shooting. Yeah. Um, you came into a Sikh temple killed eight people um, and that was back in 2012. And, you know, that's that's part of your identity, but then also, you know, the news coming out of Kenosha, Wisconsin last year during, you know, one of the peak during the Black Lives Matter uprisings when a police officer shot an unarmed black man once again. I mean, how has that impacted you personally at these intersection of these two identities?
2: You know, um... In a very, very personal and very real way, because I've lost multiple people to hate crimes um, in, uh, actually, during the Sikh massacre. So on that day, and, and not to go into to too much detail about it, but on that day, um, I was actually dedicating my son at the Sikh temple, and so the and. W- there's, it's a three day kind of celebration that happens. And so I got to the temple really early with my then three, almost three month old and my four year old. And um, I, I got there early because I knew as soon as like all the aunties and uncles came and everything, like they would take my babies away and I wouldn't see them for the rest of the day. And I just wanted to have a quiet moment in the sanctuary. And so I sat down in the temple holding my kids and the music was playing and you know I was praying and then all of a sudden, everything changed. Like, I feel like within seconds, right? My, my dad, I, I saw him run in. He is really, really involved in the Sikh community. Um, one of the men who was killed was the President of the Sikh community is my, one of my dad's best friends. I didn't even—I I called him uncle my entire life. I—I I thought we were blood related until I was like in my in my twenties. Um, and so and he was one of the people who unfortunately lost his life that day. But I remember sitting there and my dad walking in because all the women were on the phone with my father. and My father was trying to translate uh, to the police officers, and then all of a sudden the whole temple was filled with with people, um, you know, in fully arm, full and full armor because they thought they were coming to our temple. So I was not in the in the temple in Oak Creek, but I was in the other temple that is just uh, across town. Um, and, you know, people of my my immediate family would have been at that other temple, but they were with us because they were helping get everything set up for the, for the dedication. Anyways, what I would say to you is that in those moments, right. Um, where you lose somebody where somebody comes and and their their hate is so strong or their their misunderstanding is so strong or their their idea of difference is so strong that they can take another person's life that is a really hard moment you know that is a really hard moment to 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 be on the receiving end of that and just to know like the hearts of the people who who are ripped from this world, right? Because somebody didn't take a moment to get to understand them or didn't feel like they belonged or didn't feel like they needed to be included. That is a, that is a pain I wouldn't wish on. I wouldn't wish on anybody. What I will also tell you is that in the midst of that, of that pain, and again, you know, another thing that, that happened to me really, really young is, um, my primary caregiver outside of my parents was my uncle Paul, and he was actually shot at point, point blank by two teenagers. And when they, the police asked them, you know, why did why did you shoot him? They, he, they said, well, oh, we just wanted to see. He's a turban wearing um, Sikh man. We just wanted to see if his blood was different. A different was different. was a different color, right? Like really you shot my primary and and I stopped talking for a couple of weeks after it happened. So literally when I say this has been like a real thing uh, that has been, um, I don't know, that's just impacted me as an individual. This is, it's, it's real. It's real. And it causes a lot of like trauma for me. But again, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of having those experiences, even in the midst of all those tears and that pain and that suffering and, and all of that, the one thing that I have learned is that there's actually more joy in the world and there's more love in the world than there is hate. And when I do this work, a lot of times I just, I I don't go into these stories. I don't tell people some of this, um, some of the the more tragic background, right? I I tend to focus on the beauty of it because that was the majority of it. And I think that's what is represented in the majority of the world. But a lot of times it's this pain that also is a, a major motivator for me because I realized that if people had had this kind of training and understood these kinds of things and had this kind of exposure at different places in their life, I have to believe that perhaps they wouldn't have made the decisions that they did. Perhaps they wouldn't have made the decisions to end other people's lives. And so, um, so yeah, so it's, sorry. That's a very long-winded answer, but it is really personal to me. And I think it's really motivating. And I think it underscores the, the reason why this work is so incredibly important.
1: Well, I, I so appreciate you sharing that the very personal impact. Um, And I, I, um, (laughs) uh, I, I'm sorry for your, your personal losses. Um, However, I, you know, the, because again, I, one of the things that you said that, you know, like, that you're most proud of your top 10 is that one of the businesses that you have uh, been part of creating has literally elevated and lifted more than 100,000 families out of poverty. And so many times, you know, that uh, people, you know, crime and, and just anger and, and misunderstanding um, has to do with people who just are uh, don't have a chance to elevate their, their circumstances. And so um, who knows how many other like that ripple effect of those hundred thousand families and counting that you've been part of, uh, because of your, you know, your personal just commitment to being a change agent. Um, I, I just think it's amazing. And, uh, just thank you for all of the work that you've done, continue to do and taking, uh, this, this personal, um, story of yours and weaving it into uh you know, the kind of a, the ripple effect in the, in the, in the lake of life, you are absolutely uh, making so many ripples around the world.
2: Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. That's, it's very kind of you to say. And I think what pushes me is like, but it's still not enough. Right. And I think like <laughs> part of what I, I really appreciate it in this work also is the fact that when you light that fire in somebody else. So, when I do the work in Purposeful Hustle and I see somebody else like, Yeah, actually, my purpose is this. And they state it, and you see that light lift and you realize, Oh my goodness. Now I have some, there's somebody else who's going to join, right? Because there's so many things I can't do that I won't do well. And so to be able to to be a part of somebody else's story, um that also I think just like fills me up, right? Because now it's like like you said, like it's like wow. Yeah, maybe maybe I was able to I'm doing the best I can, right? Every day I try. I get up. I make tons of mistakes, but I'm I'm doing I'm doing the best that I can. But wow. Could I actually like in doing the best that I can? I actually get to make space for other people to do the best that they can. And seeing other people thrive, like to me is literally the best thing in the world. Watching other people thrive and watching other people do, because nobody can do this work by themselves, right? Nor should we. The most power comes from we have lifted other people. So you doing this podcast, right? Like all these kinds of things are, are, that's what's making the difference.
1: Well, what a great way to uh, to end this conversation, Deanna. I so appreciate you sharing Uh, I know how busy you are, not only in the community and all the organizations and as a mom and a wife. And and I just so appreciate you uh, carving out a few minutes to talk to us here at Choose Inclusion and our amazing amazing audience. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for all that you're doing, too.
0: Yeah, Deanna, you are doing God's work. So thank you again for everything. And uh, to all our listeners, um, you can check us out on ChooseInclusion.com. Follow us on Twitter uh, at ChooseInclusion and we will catch you all next time. Take care, everyone.
1: Thanks, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.